0: Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Travis Bouton. You guys probably know him from Montana Wild. Uh, I've been following Travis and his brother Zach for a long time and really enjoy the content and all the work that they put in the hunting and fishing industry. Uh, I've recently been watching Travis's uh, page on Instagram and getting a real kick out of watching the Passion uh, that that he has for hunting and fishing and seeing that uh, shift a little bit to uh, another part, another adventure, and that is he's got a uh, buildingbozeman.com, and he's been remodeling and, and getting into real estate and renting, uh, getting some residential rentals and some VRBOs, and so Travis and I were just talking before the podcast, we have a lot in common with real estate and the love of hunting and fishing. Uh, Travis, I've admired your work for a long time. It's great to have you on the podcast. It seems like it's been three years or so since I've had you and Zach on. It's going to be great to talk to you uh, tonight and uh, looking forward to it. How are you doing,
1: man? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm doing well. Staying plenty busy. Busy, huh? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It it seems like uh,
0: every uh, Instagram story or post, you know, you're up to your elbow in paint or or uh, you got lots of elbow grease going, tell us what's going on uh, up there
1: with buildingbozeman.com. Yeah, uh, well, so buildingbozeman.com is our website for, it's actually my wife and myself, a construction company that we run here in Bozeman, Montana. And we also have recently dived into real estate and long-term rentals and vacation rentals. So Building Bozeman right now is just our pretty much just our construction website, and then we will have a website for our vacation rentals down the road. So it leads me to all kinds of questions. Um,
0: let's, let's back up just a second. I did a little bit of a brief intro. Uh, you and your brother have Montana Wild, uh, which you guys put out uh, and have for many, many years put out Uh, Incredible uh, fishing, fly fishing content, uh, hunting content. Uh, You guys are in Montana. Why don't we start kind of at the beginning, talk a little bit uh, for maybe those people that aren't familiar with you and Montana Wild. Let's kind of build that background of hunting and fishing, and then and then I'm I'm so pumped to get into the real estate stuff with you as well. So why don't you kind of start at the beginning, give a kind of a brief overview of uh, how you guys got going with Montana Wild.
1: Yeah, so Montana Wild, it's it's a brand, but it's also, we're a media company. We started back in 2013-ish, and it really was just a a blog to start that was just documenting our passion for hunting and fishing. Um, We shot a bunch of media content, photos, videos, typical uh, beginner rookie GoPro videos to start and just documented a lot of our experiences and it it grew from there while we were in college to a full-on media business um, where we did everything from social media marketing um, to just photography uh, contracts with all sorts of hunting and fishing companies. Um, Then we also started doing a bunch of merchandise and That part of our company ended up taking about basically 50% of our company was just a brand of selling merchandise um, and shipping that merchandise, and so it's gone from 2013 till about now. And um, you guys have had
0: some amazing films out there. we got some questions in from Instagram. I put some questions out, and some people want to know what your favorite films are, and we can get to that later. Um, yeah. But, you know, I feel like you guys' the style, uh, I remember from a prior podcast with you guys, you guys were, you know, skiers, snowboarders, you know, you kind of came from that background. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you had an influence, you know, Warren Miller-type influence where, um, you know, kind of edgy, um, just, just cool content. Can you talk a little bit about uh, some of your filming style and your presentation and, you know, editing style uh, somewhat with those films?
1: Sure, yeah. So all of our inspiration was definitely from the action sports realm. So a lot of ski, snowboard films, if you are familiar Yeah, I mean, Warren Miller was definitely an inspiration, but we were more into the new, younger generation, like Level 1 Productions, 4 Boys Productions, uh, a bunch of just up-and-coming, kind of the younger generation around probably early 2000s. And that was definitely where we found all of our inspiration going into our hunting and fishing films to start. Uh, There really wasn't much out there around 2011. That would get you basically excited and pumped up for the upcoming either fishing season or your hunting season. Uh, and so we just kind of took a lot of that inspiration from skiing and films and kind of tried to carry that over into the hunting and fishing realm. And that was kind of where we grew from there. Do you think it's
0: easier to kind of capture that vibe for hunting films or do you think it's easier for the fly fishing films to kind of catch that you know, catchy, get-you-pumped-up
1: vibe that, that you guys do so well? Oh, uh, definitely fishing. You can, uh, why, why you can is at that? least... Why Well, it's just with fishing, you at least have a chance to set up a shot that you have in your mind. Uh, you know, you can see a fish rising, get in the perfect position with the right angle that you're, you know, able to set up, um, and then have someone cast where you're all ready to go, where hunting is very random, Unexpected. You don't really know what's going to happen, and so it's very hard to predict and know what the outcome is of your film. Yeah, it's, it's that's well put. I think um,
0: you know one of the things that I like so much about the fishing films is you feel like you're like literally in the boat with you guys, or on the bank, and you know it's you can just feel the anticipation. You know, you film the fish, and he's rising, and you know you guys are kind of you can just tell you're into it you make the cast you hook it you guys are all going nuts i mean it's kind of hard to recreate that sometimes in a hunting situation because you can go days and days and days and never get that right you know bull coming through the trees or you know that we would all love to be able to go oh i hope that elk walks right through that you know stand of quakies and then he circles around and gets the wind and comes in behind you and it's like "Mm, that didn't make a very good film
1: oh absolutely yeah yeah, and it's, like you said, It, it sometimes it, you don't see an animal for, you know, two or three days, and that makes it pretty difficult uh, to shoot a film, especially if you only have about six days or four days to get it done. Now, you guys grew up uh, in
0: western Montana and kind of in that Missoula area, um, and then you recently, in the last couple of years, moved to Bozeman. Talk a little bit about Uh, the the move, the transition, and, um, you know, maybe the differences there between kind of the western Montana and then kind of that Bozeman area?
1: Yeah, so Missoula was actually where I ended up going to college. Um, Zach did as well. Zach's my brother. And um, we really were pretty uh, happy with living in Missoula, even though it's kind of known as a hippie town. And... We had always wanted to move to Bozeman at some point, and Zach actually lived here way, way back when he went to Bozeman for a couple years and was just a ski bum. Um, But we didn't really have a good reason to go to Bozeman, and it was nice because it seems like all of the very serious hardcore hunters live in Bozeman. So when you're competing on public lands for hunting spots, you're honestly dealing with some of the best hunters in the state whereas in missoula i mean we could go to any trailhead and if you see one truck it's a busy day whereas Mm -hmm. in bozeman if you go to the trailhead and you see three or three to five trucks uh that's still going to be a great day otherwise um the norm is kind of just a jam-packed trailhead at first light so we actually ended up moving to bozeman because of my brother's girlfriend of all things and since we could work from anywhere we wanted to at the time uh it was just kind of a a no-brainer to go check out bozeman and just see what all the hype was about and just have kind of a new a new place to explore new rivers to fish new mountains to hike and at the very least you know we can move back if we didn't like it
0: so obviously you've been there a while and You've gotten married yourself and building Bozeman.com yeah. and getting some rentals and real estate. Uh, sounds like you like it. Compare the, the fishing, you know, the rivers. Talk a little bit about mm-hmm. the rivers in the Missoula area and then talk about the rivers in the Bozeman area. Um, give kind of everybody a general feel that doesn't know Montana that well. Kind of both areas, what what rivers that you guys, you know, fish a lot
1: Yeah, I would say, um, Missoula has a, a wide variety of rivers. Everything from, you know, small, uh, small creek fishing, uh, to, you know, your, your big rivers like the Clark Fork, um, or the, I mean, Missouri's still pretty close there. Uh, and then you also have a lot more just pristine mountain creeks, um, that, you know, tend to hold a lot of cutthroat, a lot of your native fish. Um, Bozeman still has that, but a lot more tailwaters and um, just more pressure <laughs> in general yeah. around Bozeman.
0: So the fishing, so like the Clark Fork, the Blackfoot, um, the Bitterroot, Bitterroot. That was, those were all kind of rivers around Missoula, and, and what, you have the Yellowstone, yep. the Gall- what are the rivers around Bozeman?
1: Yeah, Bozeman, we got the Yellowstone, um, the Gallatin, the Madison, the Jefferson. Um, I mean, then it kind of just kind of goes out from there, and Big Hole, um, Beaverhead. And the Big
0: Hole is one that, isn't it kind of like, I mean, it's kind of in between Missoula and Bozeman. So, I mean, it, it, you could still strike it from Missoula as, as well as Bozeman, right? Yep, yep,
1: that's
0: correct. They're probably about yep. the same distance. Um, you guys also, I noticed on your Instagram, you guys went to New Zealand. Um, I was fortunate to go there in 2005 and just dying to go back. Um, nice. Talk a little bit about that New Zealand trip.
1: Yeah, New Zealand was, was an amazing adventure. Uh, we spent 43 days road tripping around the South Island. It was primarily a fishing trip, but we got to do some hunting as well. Um, it was actually during that trip that I knew I wanted to marry my now wife. <laughs> so, awesome. I guess time away is either a good or a bad thing. Um <laughs> And it was one of those situations where I kind of knew that I couldn't go on in this life without her, uh, regardless of the great time that I was having down there. I I definitely missed her, and, um, yeah, New Zealand is is an experience altogether, especially when you're used to your typical fly fishing in North America. um, To go down there, I think it's the same thing. It's, It's just not, even though there's still brown trout. Um, It's primarily all sight fishing. Uh, They're very picky. The time of year that we went is kind of towards the end of their season, so a lot of those fish were, I mean, the spookiest fish I've ever seen in my life. Um, I mean, you have fish swim up to your fly in crystal clear water, and they get just close enough to check it out, and then they just spook like they've seen the devil or something.
0: You know, one thing that, i was kind of blown away with in
1: new zealand was
0: the fact that you know here in north america you know especially in the western u.s you know we've got all kinds of fish as far as numbers of fish and you know you know you may have 15 20 30 boats at the at the put in and you can still have a great day fishing i remember in new zealand one of the first days we did two weeks, we fished nine different days, and I remember one of the first, it was all, we went all guided, and I remember one of the guides, we were riding along, and, and everything was great, and he just looked over, and he's like, I can't believe it, I'm like, what? Because there's a car, there's a, tr- or a truck, he goes, there's a truck there, I said, oh, okay, yeah. he's like, we, we, we gotta go to a whole new river, I'm like, what? He's like, we can't fish here. I'm like, and, you know, and I'm thinking, well, shoot, if there's only one car usually in the, in the western U.S. when we pull up, that's a great deal. And he's yeah. like, oh, you can't fish behind anybody. And what I didn't realize is, I'm curious your thoughts on this, like a lot of places we went, we would walk for a half mile, maybe even sometimes a mile, just trying to spot mm-hmm. a fish. We didn't do any blind fishing. It was basically spot a fish try and catch them, spook them, or move on, and, you know, we were putting, you know, 10, 12 miles on, uh, it seemed like a day just walking, looking for fish, you know, backtracking, looking, um, talk about that, you know, trying to find fish uh, mentality, kind of hunting
1: them down. Yeah, like you are saying, I mean, I we had multiple days where we probably hiked anywhere from four to eight miles and maybe... Actually, physically see you know anywhere from one to four fish. Um, you're definitely hunting them there. Uh, I, we, it was it was hilarious because you know if, if you spot a fish that one of your buddies walked past, it was it was a big deal. Um, <laughs> you get a yeah, good man. chance to rib them. <laughs> yeah, uh, but man, they're hard to spot, and the fish per mile is so low on most of those rivers that literally, yeah, you hike miles and miles, um, and then you finally find that fish, and usually it's a 20-plus-inch fish, uh, which down there they, you know, say it's anywhere from, you know, they, they measure it in pounds, so they're like, oh, hey that's a 10-pound that's a brown, and you probably get one or two shots maybe at that trout before you spook it unless you're on point with all your casting and your flies, and then, You know, either you hook it or you spook it and you move on to the next one. It's definitely a a hard game down there. Yeah, and I would expect
0: uh, we kind of went early in the – well, let's see, we went in March, I think. Um, Yeah. I guess that's kind of right right in the middle of the season um, or towards the end. Uh, but I imagine yeah. if you go earlier in the season when maybe they haven't seen a few flies. I mean, because it sounds like what you're saying is some of those fish have been caught or at least cast to, so they were super on edge. Um, but talk yeah. about talk about maybe your your favorite experience down there. Um, you know, one of your days. What was one of your funnest times or favorite favorite fish or you know favorite experiences?
1: Yeah. Um, I would say probably my favorite experience was just hooking the first brown trout down there because it was just so wild and uh, they they tend to just go berserk when you hook them. Um, And it was actually a little creek that we had to wade one of the big rivers to access and it was a day that it actually was just raining all day and the fishing was just lights out. The creek was about 10 feet wide. Uh, pretty much every other hole had one really large brown trout. And I think we caught, man, 15-plus-inch fish over 20 inches on one little creek. And wow. eventually, the water muddied up so much that we couldn't fish anymore. And when we went back to cross the <laughs> the river, it had blown up probably 10 times the size as when we crossed. And we actually had... Uh, just hiked the shoreline to the nearest bridge. And, uh, yeah, it was quite the adventure. We might have had to do a a little bit of trespassing (laughs) to get (laughs) safely back to our vehicle. But, um, yeah, that was super memorable. And like you were saying, the pressure on the fish, at least towards, you know, the middle, late season, is definitely a thing. Um, And we found out that uh, one of our buddies went down and fished there this year and we told him about that creek and he went back and fished it and he actually caught this like a few of the exact same brown trout and had photos that we caught in that creek. So Isn't that unbelievable? It, it, yeah, it's it's crazy. I don't know how the 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 fish there migrate, but obviously they, they hang out in the same spot. Yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing place. Anyone out there listening, I mean, definitely put New
0: Zealand on your list to go check out. If, if you're a diehard oh, yeah. fisherman, you've got to go. I mean, the fishing's amazing. Like Travis is saying, I mean, the anticipation of that first, you know, solid brown coming up and taking. I mean, most of the fishing there is dry flies, and um, mm-hmm. they are picky. But, man, when they when you hook them, they go ballistic. Like, just, yeah. I mean, just ape crazy i mean they go nutso and that's half the fun of it and uh so i I enjoyed uh following some of your pictures and stuff from that and uh you guys had a film also on it that was awesome um let's talk a little bit about you talk about hunting in bozeman and and the area being more congested and some phenomenal hunters in that area Mm -hmm. uh what has the transition been as far as, cause it's also a college town. Is it not uh, in Bozeman? Yeah. Yep. What is, MSU what are the differences? Yeah. What are the differences like from that perspective and then just having some of those, you know, iconic hunters and such in the area, um, you know, in Bozeman and, and trying to, you know, find your spots and areas and, and, you know, talk a little bit about that, the transition you guys kind of had to go through.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think anyone that's in the, like, the hunting realm kind of knows that Bozeman's turning into a a mecca for people to come either live or to hunt in this area. Uh, We definitely have a lot of people in the industry, per se. Um, And just in general, Bozeman is a very active, a very athletic, outdoorsy town where there's just a lot of Top athletes that live here from rock climbing to mountain biking to trail running to whatever it may be any sort of outdoor sports so yeah i mean trans- transitioning from Missoula to bozeman um, it was it was a good experience, and I definitely love hunting around Bozeman, but it was different to try to get used to uh, just avoiding pressure and thinking differently about where you would typically hunt, uh, because there are five other guys that are just as fit or athletic um, or as motivated as, you know, we were. And so if you're all going to the same spot on the weekend, you're probably going to butt heads. And just it just makes elk hunting and deer hunting more difficult when there's, when there's that type of pressure. Um, so the biggest thing was just finding new areas, trying to think, a little bit more advanced as to wh- where do people not want to go? What makes, you know, this approach into this area so nasty that, you know, 90% of the guys I know aren't going to want to go in there because of either deadfall or um, just the dirt to initially get in there? Um, just a lot of different variables that you have to start thinking about when you're hunting around Bozeman just to get away from people. Yeah
0: uh as far as far as the fishing in that area would you say i mean is the fishing every bit as good as what you guys witnessed in you know that missoula area or do you actually think the fishing is is better in the bozeman area
1: you know i'd say the fishing is just as good in bozeman as it is in missoula um yeah i mean they're, they're pretty comparable uh both both are great spots to fish um bozeman just has just uh i mean just more pressure i guess in general but the fishing's still great
0: what is going on right there right now as far as how is your snowfall what's runoff look like um is anything starting to fish yet you know what you got you got uh any hatches coming up that you're looking forward to salmon flies or anything going on that you're like oh yeah i'm waiting for this
1: yeah, uh, snowpack was great here, at least in southwest Montana this year. Uh, runoff has definitely, we had a late spring, so we're actually just coming out of runoff right now. And where I live currently is about a mile from the and I think a day or two ago was the first time I could actually see into the water um, and see parts of the bottom along the shoreline. So we're just coming out of runoff. Uh, a lot of the tailwaters have I've been fishing pretty good, but we're, I actually haven't really fished much other than, man, only a couple times this spring, just because I've been so tied up with either business or remodeling or just purchasing real estate, um, but I am going fishing the next couple of days, uh, <laughs> and it, it's the Salmon Fly Hat is starting and going on a couple of the waterways around here, so... I'm going to escape and finally go fish a couple of days. The so salmon flies um, which which rivers up
0: there do salmon flies, you know, I know some of the rivers they won't even there won't be salmon flies, but which rivers, you know, are known around that area for having a pretty good salmon fly
1: hatch? Um mostly Madison, Yellowstone and the Big Hole. Okay. Uh,
0: we've got salmon flies in the Gunnison Gorge. I'm supposed to be going down on Sunday afternoon to do an overnight in the gorge, and uh, I always love fishing the salmon flies. Uh, you know, we've had so much water here in you know, Colorado this year that everything's still blown out. The rowing forks blown out. The the eagle i mean they're coming down but i was looking at water today that's you know normally we've been fishing for a couple weeks and you know it's still chocolate and just barely starting to turn green uh where you know it goes from chocolate to green and then it starts clearing kind of daily so i'm thinking in a couple weeks um we'll have some good fishing here um I, I want to take a second here to thank the sponsors of the podcast, and then I want to dive into what's got you so busy uh, there where you can, you haven't been fishing as much as usual, and it's a, it's a great story, and I've been having fun kind of watching it uh, kind of you know move along here. Uh, I want to thank GoHunt.com for their sponsorship of this podcast. Uh, Cody Nelson, my friend, who is the optics manager at GoHunt.com in the gear shop. You can call him directly if you're looking for binos, spotting scopes, tripods, anything to do with optics at 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. Or you can email him at optics at GoHunt.com. There's a special promotion going on right now uh, for this upcoming month of July, uh, and that is, if you use the J. Scott 19 promo code, uh, you're going to be entered into a $1,000 Hunt gear shop uh, giveaway. So if you spend $12 in the gear shop, you get 12 entries. If you spend $2,500 in the gear shop, you get 2,500 entries. So someone's going to win that $1,000 gift card. I want to thank um, GoHunt.com for their sponsorship. I also want to thank Kuyu. That's K-U-I-U, ku Ultralight Hunting. Uh, you can find out more about ku go to ku that's K-U-I-U.com. Uh, also, phonescope.com, use the J. Scott 19 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount on all orders. That's the digiscoping device I use for my iPhone X. And I also want to thank OnexMaps.com. Use the J. Scott 19 promo code, and you're going to get a 20% discount there uh, there at onxmaps.com. All right, Travis, so let's dive into when you made the transition mentally to wanting to get more focused on uh, real estate, construction, and, you know, kind of how it's taken a good focus and a good por- portion of your time. So, you know, kind of start at the beginning and walk us through kind of how maybe your first... You know, first idea, first deal, you know, how it all started. Well, I got married. <laughs> That's a start. How, that? <laughs> yeah. and how how old were you when you got
1: married and how old are you now? Um, just to get some context. I got married when I was 29, so I haven't even been married a year, but I'm 30 now. So I got married okay. last okay. August. Okay, so you're um, just still I, a I young strapping pup here. Yeah, I feel like I'm getting older. <laughs> but, yeah, I, and in, in the scheme, I think the 30s still really young. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it was, it was when I was dating my wife uh, prior to marriage that real estate started to hit more on my map. And, honestly, before that, I really didn't have – I mean, I never really thought that much about real estate, um, nor did I ever really think that I could afford to buy a house. Um, I was pretty much just strictly focused on hunting and fishing and the outdoors, Um, and so it hasn't been until the last couple years that I've really uh, started to dive into the real estate realm. Okay. And so
0: when did you know that it was possible, and what made you realize that it
1: was possible? Yeah, so kind of a, a little bit of, um, a backstory on this, um, so about two years ago is when I started doing construction, my wife had started a painting business, it's called Beargrass Construction, uh, we're based here in, in Bozeman, Montana, and I actually, when I got back from my New Zealand trip, um, She was kind of in over her head with just so much work here in Bozeman, had taken on too many projects, had contractors that kind of failed to um, deliver, and she was just in straight anguish. And so I ended up helping her out, and that was kind of the start of basically me doing a lot more construction work, uh, primarily painting and now siding, Um, and, uh, at the same time, I was transitioning and kind of looking for a new outlet of work. Um, Montana Wild's been great, but just doing business, I mean, doing business with your family or your brother, it it does make it very difficult at times. And we kind of had different goals and all the way leading up until, you know, my wedding, We had always lived together, always worked together. We were full-time, doing it day in and day out. And for me, just, I mean, it's a change of priorities once you get married. Uh, For me personally, it's it's God first, then my family, and then everything else kind of resumes after that. And so just the whole big decision of getting married was a huge change and a lot of uh, just learning and maturity uh, for myself um, and so when I did commit myself to my wife you know I had to make that a priority and in order to do that I couldn't pursue Montana Wild full-time because it was you know if if we you know pitch a project to a company it's a two-week project that I'm super passionate about um, I can't expect you know my partner Zach to take those two weeks off and it was vice versa for myself so if If Zach pitched a project that he was super passionate about, we got the job, and it's uh, a two-week trip to Alaska, I can't commit myself to that, now being married um, with a short notice. And so just the whole thing of becoming married um, and a change in priorities, I knew that we kind of, I needed to shape my career a little bit and start uh, diverging into other industries and... At the same time, I was definitely getting a little bit burnt out with the hunting and fishing industry um, and kind of was looking for a break. And also, it's very difficult. (laughs) I mean, it's just very difficult to make decent money doing media work strictly uh, in the hunting and fishing realm. So just all those variables combined to where... uh, I just started pursuing some other careers. Uh, One of those was construction and Bozeman is literally blowing up. Uh, There's so many jobs for construction. It wasn't hard to find work. The work pays extremely well and there's something to be said about building something with your hands and seeing the final product that everyone should experience at some point. Uh, It's definitely rewarding. It's not the most uh, you know, it's not like a Uh, you don't feel like it's a a job that people look up to necessarily, but I definitely have a huge respect for people that do construction and work with their hands every single day because it's definitely very physically demanding. Um, And so just working construction, that kind of led me in the direction of pursuing real estate. And there's a podcast called Bigger Pockets. uh, I really recommend it to anyone. That is thinking about investing in real estate, or just wants more information about it. Um, and also, I was big on Dave Ramsey before that, and just getting out of debt and kind of setting yourself up uh, to retire down the road. And so, a combination of those two just led me to yeah, pursuing real estate, getting out of debt, getting my finances in line, and getting on a budget, which if you ask a good majority of people out there, I'd say probably 70% of the people out there have never set a budget for themselves, and that was a huge thing for myself as far as um, just saving money for a home, um, and a budget can just do big things over a short period of time for you. Absolutely. Um,
0: there's, there's so much there that, that I want to dive into uh, something that I, just listening to you talk, it sounds like the relationship with your wife and her having a real passion and, and you know, interest in painting and construction and having bare grass construction, it sounds like it was an easy transition almost for you to help her out, which then kind of created, uh, you know, that, that, Little morsel of you know to, of, of a seed to be planted. Of oh, this is awesome! It's there's so much that's new to me, but it's a challenge. I like what I see. There's plenty of work here, so it's almost like there was a perfect chain of events there. Not to mention the fact that the real estate market in you know in general in the United States is awesome, but in Bozeman, you know, it's just a thriving city. Um, did you almost feel like you just dove in, but that there was so much work that it, you know, it didn't feel like work, it was all new, and, it, you know, you you just dove into a new passion?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you start something new, uh, it's exciting, and you're learning so much, and it's, it's a new challenge every single day. That, that's definitely addicting. Um, I wouldn't say that working construction that we're, you know, like passionate about working construction. But I do think that there's a lot of benefits and good things that revolve around having a construction job and working for yourself and setting your own schedule. Um, And for us, you know, I, I don't think we'll do construction forever, but definitely ties in extremely well for what we want to do down the road with. Um, real estate, um, and just being able to give back more in our community. And don't you think too?
0: I mean, as you
1: mature
0: and as you, you know, you get married, you, you know, you you start getting grounded, so to speak, as far as you know, you're putting down roots. And not that you weren't before, but you know, it's a, it's a maturity level. I mean, I've gone through it too. And then you start trying to look at your life and saying, you know what do I want to do, you know, how do I want to provide for my family, and then here's an opportunity to take this construction, uh, painting, siding, you know, side business, and then there's a, and then you realize, wow, I can take the stuff that I learned, and now I can buy my own real estate and take what we've learned, and one thing I've enjoyed watching on your Instagram is watching you guys, like, get dirty, you know, paint all over you, and, you know, I saw one thing where it looked like you had a leak in something, and, you know, it's not all glamorous. I mean, it. I, I have, oh, no. you know, rental properties, and we've talked about uh, on other podcasts, I've talked about my real estate journey. And one of the things, when you kind of get to where you can see the light of the, at the end of the tunnel, in other words, I bought rentals that needed to be fixed up, needed to be rehabbed where I could buy it at a lower price, but I was willing to, you know, get subcontractor friends that I knew to, you know, do the electric, electrical stuff, do the plumbing stuff, you know, get new flooring, new toilets, new carpet, um, and it's been fun watching you guys kind of document that journey. Um, and let's talk about, uh, you know, your first property uh, that you guys, you know, you know, had your eye on and decided to buy and rent out, uh, whether that went, you know, long-term rental or if it went VRBO. Talk a little bit about that first one and the feelings kind of you ha- that you had about buying that and how, how that all worked out.
1: So, yeah, our, our first property um, was definitely a struggle. Uh, neither my wife or myself have ever purchased uh, real estate and Just going from, you know, trying to get the financing to trying to even find uh, a deal in Bozeman or the Gallatin Valley is extremely difficult right now. Uh, And you have to definitely be creative uh, if you want, you know, in in quotes, a good deal. Uh, If you're just buying a single-family home and you just want to live somewhere and pay a mortgage, uh, I mean, obviously that's easy. Uh, you just pick something in your price range and hope it's something that you like. But for us, we wanted to find something that, uh, well, I guess in simple terms, we didn't want to pay our mortgage. We wanted uh, someone to pay it for us, uh, just through all the knowledge we had done. So, with us working construction, we knew that you know we have a lot of the skills to either you know convert a single-family home into a uh, a duplex or. We were looking at a lot of homes where we could do an ADU, which is basically a single unit above a garage that we could rent out. And we had been looking probably for about, oh man, four or five months. And we found a fourplex and a single family home. Uh, The single family home we actually put an offer in on, uh, had it accepted. And the whole reason we wanted to purchase that house is it was a good price. It had a walkout basement. We could literally put a door at the bottom of the staircase going down to the basement, and we would have had a three-bedroom, two-bath upstairs, and a three-bed, one-bath downstairs where we could either vacation rental or long-term rent out half the house, basically, without ever having to see the other person. Um, Mm -hmm. And... We ran into some issues with the HOA. Uh, we actually had permission to convert the basement into another unit from the current president of the HOA, but the risk that we ran was once that person left the HOA in that neighborhood um, that that could potentially change down the road and we'd be stuck with a house much too big for ourselves and not that additional income coming in. So. We were able to get out of that deal and then instantly we went and put an offer in on this fourplex that we were actually extremely surprised was still on the market and was the best deal on the multifamily that we had seen over the last, you know, four months. Um, we got the financing, uh, the whole process from when we got our offer accepted to close was, uh, oh man, it was just a headache trying to learn everything get your financing in line, and uh, just to do all of your due diligence beforehand to know that you're not going to have surprises or some crazy expenses that basically just put you under. So, yeah, we own a fourplex in Belgrade, Montana, and we saw just a lot of opportunity with it being a 20-year-old building. Everything was pretty much original other than a carpet and a couple units. And the plan was just to do full-on remodels as the lease is turned over. And we are going to convert one or two of the units into vacation rentals. The other one was going to be a long-term rental. And then we are going to live in the unit for hopefully no more than two to five years.
0: Awesome. So in that process of, of getting out of one deal, jumping into this other deal, and having it be new and what have you, talk a little bit about the growing pains and, you know, the fear that everybody has. Um, you know, did you experience some fear? What if this doesn't work? What if this happens? What if that happens? And what made you finally just say, we, we have to do this?
1: Definitely intimidating. Um, but just, I mean, fortunately we live in an era where podcasts, more specifically, but I mean, also YouTube has just so much information out there, uh, which, real quick, has probably been one of the biggest benefits of working construction. I literally can read ten times the books or listen to them, essentially, uh, or educate myself. Uh, educate myself every single day, to where I'm literally getting a a, a degree while I'm working. And so that in itself, I've just been able to learn so much. And everyone that invests in real estate says, the, you know, the biggest step is just diving in head first and getting that first piece of real estate. And so kind of did all the work up front on what to look for in this, you know, in a property that would make sense in this area and financially. And once I had done all that homework, I mean, the biggest, you know, the, the biggest stress during the process was just making sure we had the down payment. Um, and obviously, you always have in the back of your head, like, is there anything that I'm missing? Is, like, there's something wrong with this place? Is the neighborhood have some sort of issues that I'm not aware of? Are the neighbors crazy? Have the tenants, you know, been just bad tenants? There's a lot of things that you think about, but in the end, you just kind of have to go for it and know that experience is going to be your your biggest teacher. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think
0: some of the best advice out there, and I mean, I can attest to this. I'm 46, and, you know, I got my real estate license in 1997, so, you know, 22 years ago. And, you know, there's nothing like learning real estate until you're actually putting your own money on the line. And what I tell a lot of people is, you know, as long as you do the due diligence and you think try and think of everything possible that could go wrong and try and cross those off your list. okay, I checked the roof, I checked the you know hot water heater, I checked the plumbing, I checked this, I checked that. and you know you get your inspections and you do the best you can. Uh, sometimes if you got in some real estate and let's just say you you know you were trying to you know fix and flip it, and let's just say you broke even. The amount, and Travis, I'm curious your thoughts on this, the amount that you learn in one transaction, uh, and I've had a, a bunch of younger real estate agents, you know, call me and ask me questions about this, that, and the other, and I just say, you know, get some transactions under your belt. And, you know, as far as investing real estate, it's the same thing. Get some homes, get some closings, get some, you know, go through the financing deals, go through the inspections, you know, go, go meet the inspector and you're learning along the way. And even if you break even, you've, you've basically got yourself, a uh, you know, a, a, a bachelor's degree in buying real estate in one transaction. And, it, you know, if you can duplicate it, you know, multiple times, you know, I'm still learning about real estate, and I've been doing it 22 years. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that I look at as a challenge uh, and, you know, Try and find some diamonds in the rough. Try and find some sleeper deals that you know people have passed on, and and you've been able to, you know, find them in one way or another, make them work. But I think you know you hit the nail on the head. Jumping in and just getting started is half the battle.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you learn so much just one transaction. We've only owned this place since the fifth of April, and I have learned. so so much, just about being a landlord, purchasing real estate, real estate in general. Um, so it's been it's been a great experience. It's been a lot of work, uh, but definitely super happy that we purchased the place, got the first one under wrap and uh, in the works. And yeah, I mean, we had a, a boiler. So, our boiler went out within the first two weeks of owning this place. And so,
0: (laughs) I had to Welcome
1: to the world of real estate, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, no issues whatsoever, you know, with the boiler until, you know, you purchase the place. And that actually seems to be pretty common is when someone purchases the place, something goes wrong. Um, Yeah. So, that was a little bit of a a scary start, just to owning, just because of, like, hey, we just. Drop all this money on a down payment, um, you know, you're going into it hoping things are smooth, and then you instantly have to drop, you know, another lump sum of money to see if it's fixed, because tenants are already calling you and texting you saying their heat yeah. is out. So, yeah, yeah. It, it's fixed it's now, so it should be good, hopefully, for, like, another 20 years. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things I'll
0: add to what you're saying is, so, you know, you're basically finding a deal, you're finding a fourplex, you're you're scrounging up the money to put down the down payment, you know, whether it's 10%, 20%, 30%, whatever it is, whatever your down payment is, and then you're going with the method of let's let the rental income pay for this place. So, whether you do a 15 or a 30-year mortgage, you know, in 15 years, uh, if you do a 15-year, they're going to basically not hand you over the keys because you already own it, but they're basically going to hand you a slip and say, Congratulations, those other people have just paid your mortgage. Now you own it. Or if it's a 30 year deal, yeah. in 30 years that will be yours free and clear. And, you know, you have the option to sell it or you'll have the option to have, you know, the passive income. And that's one thing, you know, I've learned with the rental properties that I have that that I like so much about Rental properties is the fact that if you can come up with a down payment and you're not planning on selling the property and you're looking at it a long-term deal, there's really not a ton of downside. Yes, your boiler could go out and you're gonna have to, you know, not buy as many flies or not go on that trip to New Zealand. Uh, but, you know, long-term, when you can get that thing paid off and have that money coming in every month, And, you know, instead of it going to a mortgage, it's going straight into your pocket. That's what I I highly encourage anyone out there. Um, Yes, the real estate market, uh, you know, has been going strong for, you know, nine years. Uh, Yes, we're probably getting at the higher end of the, you know, the price spectrum. But if you have a long-term outlook and you have enough money to put a down payment and, you you know, get your first rental property, uh, let the tenant pay your payment. Uh, and, and, you know, I think, Travis, I'll, I'll ask you this. I think so many people get caught up on, in positive cash flow where they, yeah. they run the numbers of the mortgage payment, they run the numbers of the, you know, the rental, they, they run the numbers of trying to keep, you know, a month's supply of, you know, um, reserves in case you have vacancies or what have you. Um, but it all boils down to someone else paying that payment. And I, I, I just think that that's such a strong way to build wealth uh, as well as experience.
1: Yeah, no, I would agree with you. I mean, obviously, cash flow is what you're shooting for. Um, but even if you were, you know, if your first purchase of a home you know, as a duplex or a place where, you know, there's a lot of people in Bozeman my age now that are, you know, vacation renting a room in their house just to help out the mortgage. Um, I mean, I think the biggest thing is if you can get into a, a residence and have someone at least cover your mortgage, I mean, cover it, just to yep. have that first deal under your belt and to go through that, it's yep. I mean, totally worth it. Um, yeah, I mean... Exactly. That's that's what
0: I, I didn't add in there. I basically was saying if you don't have to make a thousand dollars a month or four thousand dollars a month. It's great or three hundred and thirty three dollars a month, whatever it comes out to, but sometimes if you just cover your mortgage and it's a wash, but you look at, at a thirty year spectrum, you know, Travis, you're thirty years old, when you're sixty that place will be one hundred percent free and clear. Mm -hmm. And if you did a 15-year mortgage, and when you're 45, that place will be 100% free and clear. So, you know, obviously, probably in 15 years or 30 years, you're not going to be living in one of the parts of the fourplex. You'll have four levels of income coming in, and, um, I mean, that's how you do it. I think a lot of people try and make too sweetheart of a deal, and they've been told, well, you've got to have positive cash flow well, how about just getting your payment covered where maybe you can live in half of it and, and the other half, and it covers your payment. Now you have a free place to live, and then you start looking for, you know, saving money and trying to buy your next
1: real estate deal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like you are saying, you know, we're probably pretty close to the top in the real estate market right now. And, you know, some people are saying it's going to crash, but who really knows? Um, it definitely has been kind of on our mind, and one of the huge perks of investing in a place where you can either rent it out after you've moved, like moved on, or if you have other places so like a duplex or a fourplex where you can rent out portions of that place, is if the market does crash, the actual hit to rentals is probably only ten to twenty percent of the rent that you're getting. So, say you're getting a thousand bucks a month say It drops down to eight hundred. As long as you can still make your mortgage payments, it's not going to hurt you. Not to mention, so many people are probably going to lose their houses in a in a you know real estate crash, and they're going to need places to rent. So rentals are pretty safe regardless of the market. And obviously, I mean, you would like it to go up and get appreciation, which you will if you, you know, long term. Up and and go through the roller coaster. Um, so as long as you have that mindset, I mean, rentals are pretty dang safe as long as you, you do your research and you understand and are willing to learn. Yeah,
0: and, and the reality is you only lose if you sell. So as long and, – and, you know, you talk about rental you know, rental rates dropping 10 or 20%. What I've found is when the market actually gets rough and people start losing their homes, actually there's more demand for rentals than in good times because in good times people are buying houses in bad times people need houses to rent because they've had to give their houses up so I've seen actual rental prices increase uh, and so anyway I just encouraging I, 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 I see your story uh, I, I see you being 30 and you know I can just see you know in your videos you and your wife you're excited about it um, I highly encourage people out there, if you're thinking about buying real estate and you have a long-term mindset, I just don't see really any downside as long as you do all your due diligence. But getting in the game is way better. How many people do you know, Travis, that they're like, you know, oh, I should have bought this 10 years ago, and I should have bought that, and I should have bought this, and then you go, well, what did you buy? And they say, oh, nothing. I- I'm still renting. I mean, I've seen it over my life so much where, you know, it's like you've got to have a jump in point at at some point. uh, And the benefit of buying income producing real estate is, you know, basically the tenants are paying for your investment. You just have to have good credit and enough to put a down payment. and You're you're good to go with a long term outlook. Uh, You know, Bozeman, Montana may, you know, real estate in the next, five years may take a dip, but I guarantee you in 15 years in Bozeman, Montana,
1: it will be higher than it is today. I promise you that is a fact. Oh, absolutely. And a lot of people are, you know, they, they, they don't really realize how feasible it is to actually purchase a home. And you know, something like, wow, that's a big undertaking, or I don't think I can afford it. And that's really where doing the research and figuring out, you know, I mean, there's FHA loans where you can literally put like 3.5% 3%. Down. Yeah. 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 And which is not very much. I mean, a lot of people on, in general, like their wages, if they go on a budget for a couple of years, they get out of debt. I mean, that's a pretty reasonable, I think a pretty reasonable thing for most people. I mean, obviously credit score and who you deal with financially, your loan, um, it depends on the outcome, but I mean, if you think about it, uh, the risk is pretty low. Um, yeah, if you put 3.5 percent, say you put 30,000 down between you and your wife. I mean, the worst that can happen is you're out that 30,000 down the road. Um, it's really not that big of a risk if you look at the actual like all of the benefits of getting into that property. Um, and man, rent right around here. I mean, you're lucky if you're spending under 1200 a month, which, I mean, that's over twelve grand a year that you're just spending on rent every year. So how many years have you kid's gone, you, like, I want to pull the trigger and, and, you know, invest in real estate or at least get started? I wish I was. Like, I started a long time ago, um, knowing what I know now. And, I mean, some people, you know, they don't want to put in the work or be a landlord, and that's understandable, but uh, for myself, it's just a whole new realm that I'm pretty excited about, and my wife has an amazing eye for interior design and spaces that, you know, are they look extremely dumpy and run down, but has a vision for how they can just be a beautiful place, which is super helpful for us just in remodeling and seeing the maximum value that you can find in a property, which... Obviously, is beneficial because we can find places that most people are going to overlook or not want to put the work into, but we're willing, you know, to put in the elbow grease and, in return, basically, uh, you know, add a bunch of value to that property and either rent it for the maximum rent we could get in the area or sell it for more money uh, down the road. Yeah. This is great stuff, awesome
0: stuff. We've got some questions uh, here from Instagram, uh, and let's just dive into a few of them. Uh, This question says, buy and remodel or build from scratch from an investment point of view. What
1: would you do? I think it completely depends on your knowledge of building and the real estate market in your area. So for us right now, it doesn't make sense to build, at least with my knowledge and my financial situation, uh, in Bozeman right now. Just to even get building permits and to get underway, it's about a year out. So that's a that's quite a bit of time to where I could buy something used, uh, or you know, just an older home or an older multi-family unit, already have it remodeled and renting for you know yep. a year before. I could even start construction. So if I were to go and try to build a multifamily unit right now, I'm looking at about two years of before I can even start, you know, making any of that money back, uh, which to me, that's a lot more intimidating. And so for me, yeah. it's not new construction. Um, but if it's, you know, in your area, it might be completely different. Uh, land is really, really expensive in Bozeman, especially lots that are zoned for multifamily. So, uh, building just doesn't make sense in our area for me personally. Yeah. And I would
0: agree with that as as well, especially with people to get buying their first pieces of real estate. I highly recommend find, find those, you know, ones that you need to come in and, you know, bang out all the tile you need to take the popcorn off the ceilings you probably don't know what popcorn is but uh you know in, in <laughs> arizona they built a lot of roofs or a lot of ceilings you know that they, they spray in the popcorn you come in yeah. you know pull the popcorn off the ceilings you know it, it, one thing i'll say is the a bunch of the rentals that i bought like if i take my wife there like we don't want to live in that particular house. But one thing I learned from my dad a long time ago is he's like, hey, there's a house for everybody out there. Just because you don't want to live particularly in that house or maybe that neighborhood or maybe that area or what have you, and just because, you know, you may want to spend $1,500 in rent and this one you can buy and rent it out for eight hundred. There's always someone that will want to live in there. You don't necessarily, I think people get romantic with things they have to buy. It has to be a certain, you know, in the gated community and has to be this, that, or the other. I think the exact opposite. I want to find those places where, you know, good, solid neighborhoods, but, you know, maybe a little bit lower income. Maybe you can slide in there and, you know, do some elbow grease work and, you know, you know, spend two hundred grand on a house, and and uh, you know maybe, uh, you know, put twenty five or thirty thousand into it, and you know and all of a sudden it's a three hundred thousand dollar house because no one wanted to mess with the, you know, the the dirty showers and the dirty closets and you know the carpet that smelled. I mean, you can go in there and rip that stuff out. So I would definitely say to this question, uh, I would definitely go with Travis and go with some of the older real estate uh, rather than new. Uh, especially in the rental market, uh, and certainly if you were going to try and buy it and flip it, I would, I would go to the older real estate. Another question, have you or anyone you know had better experience as a host on VRBO versus Airbnb? That's a great question for you, Travis. What are you hearing about uh, uh, a better experience with VRBO versus Airbnb?
1: Yeah, so we've only had our vacation rental up and running since middle to late May, but in that last, you know, month, almost month and a half, uh, Airbnb by far has been 100% of our bookings, and we've booked almost every single day. So I really only have experience with Airbnb because that's where all my bookings have been from, even though we are on uh, HomeAway, which is VRBO, and Airbnb. Um but from what I've been hearing is Airbnb is on the uprise and VRBO, excuse me, or HomeAway is kind of starting to fade away. I'm not sure why that is. Um, I do know that HomeAway charges a little bit more as far as fees, Um, but Airbnb by far has been much more beneficial to us. Travis,
0: one question to follow up on that. Um, I've actually bought my first. I always just say the word VRBO or vacation rental. I'm going to try and rent it uh, short term versus long term. When you were looking at uh, you know the rental prices and what have you, what made you go uh, from doing a you know long term rental, say a 12 month rental, uh, to doing a higher price per night and doing a short term rental? What you know, kind of what were the thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, so for us, um, just having stayed at vacation rentals quite a bit over the past, you know, four or five years just traveling, um, we definitely know that there's quite a bit of benefit to a vacation rental over someone that wants to stay, you know, at a hotel, especially if you have a kitchen or just a unique layout or a unique area, um, and so just for us knowing, um, the area and doing our research, uh, that so in Bozeman city limits, there's restrictions on vacation rentals, which is more costly, and it also limits how many vacation rentals can be in our area. Where we're at in Belgrade, we're actually outside city limits, so there's no restrictions, and we don't have to pay any additional, you know, city permits to be a vacation rental, so for us here, we were like, hey, this is awesome, we don't have to do any permitting, we don't have any additional costs, Uh, the biggest thing is furnishing the place, and, you know, the worst thing that can happen with trying a vacation rental is it doesn't work out, and we have to sell everything in the unit. Um, We knew that we could make, you know, what we would get per month on a long-term rental, so for us, just trying it was the biggest thing and we are going to live in a unit in the same fourplex where we can literally walk right next door if there's any issues or if we need to clean the place. So for us, it was just a no-brainer. Hey, let's try this and see how much we can get per month, and it's been lights out. So, mind <laughs> definitely, yeah, definitely happy that we did the vacation rental route, and we're probably going to convert another one of our units into a vacation rental just because at least the demand in our area has been really high, and surprisingly, our location has more benefits than I anticipated. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: A uh, couple things to note. Uh, like Travis said, uh, with the short-term rentals, the vacation rentals, uh, different municipalities, cities, what have you, ha- uh, HOAs, different subdivisions have restrictions. You do need to check. You, that is part of your due diligence when you are buying uh, some some residential uh, rental properties is do they allow short-term rentals. Uh, so make sure you check on that. Uh, But one of the things that I was looking at with the short-term rental is it seems as though, uh, you know, in in Arizona, we obviously have the summer months where we have, you know, really, really hot temperatures. And you guys might see the same thing in the winter where, you know, yes, you've got the ski area there, but um, it actually, I think, will have less wear and tear on the unit because it's almost like people come in and stay in a hotel. They're there for two or three nights and then they're gone. Whereas if you have, you know, potentially the clamp that's moving into your place for 12 months, I mean, I've had some of my rentals where you just go in and you're like, how in the world did they (laughs) keep the place like this? Where if your turnarounds every couple of days, you have, you know, whether you're cleaning it yourself or you have your own housekeepers or maids that are going in there every couple of days, you can kind of keep an eye and keep the place up. If you go a a 12-month period, or some of my tenants have been in for seven, eight years, you know, if you don't do your yearly inspections, you literally could come in and they could be, you know, having a mess lab there and you would never know because mm-hmm. you haven't been there for five years. I think that's another benefit for those short-term rentals is, um, you know, your turnaround, your, you know, whether you're cleaning it yourself or have someone doing it, they can tell you, hey, this, this you know, carpet's getting worn here, you need to fix this up, da-da-da-da-da, and you can kind of keep an eye on your place. Not to mention the rates nightly are insane, and the the analysis that I've kind of been doing is it's almost I mean it's one and a half times, if not higher, in some circumstances of you know areas of gross rentals for the year, and and when you look at the net, I mean it's it's more money. It it,
1: it right now it is more money. Yeah. No, absolutely, and like you were saying it. it I mean, obviously, if you have a a vacation rental that's a super nice lodge on a lake, the people might be hanging out in your unit most of the day. Uh, But, yeah, for our particular situation, they want to come visit the Gallatin Valley. They want a a nice place to basically crash at night or to make dinner um, and maybe some coffee and breakfast in the morning. But for the most part, they're coming here to visit the Gallatin Valley. Go do things throughout most of the day come back crash and do it all over again so really i mean we don't really see our guests that much even though we live right next door because they're basically sleeping in the morning yeah
0: yeah Yeah. good point good point all right we've got some uh questions here um shifting gears favorite fly if you could only pick one in montana favorite fly Sandworm. Juan
1: worms <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you serious or are you full of bull <laughs> I mean it works it's not are you talking you're, uh, about you're talking it. about just catching fish aren't you <laughs> all right oh, yeah. let's back up let's back
0: up <laughs> favorite fly to fish and then favorite fly if the money was on and you had to catch fish with so sand Juan worm if the money the chips were down and you had a bet and you had to
1: catch fish is the sand Juan worm well yeah, I mean as far as like the number one to go to fly on all rivers in Montana if you want to catch fish and the San Juan worm. Uh, <laughs> what what color Definitely not pick? the favorite fly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what color uh, I mean, worm would you go with?
1: Pink. Pink's really pink. good. Okay, what's uh, your favorite the, the fly to pink. fish?
0: The favorite what was it? What's your favorite fly to fish? Like,
1: you know, do you favorite have a certain fly. dry
0: fly or a streamer?
1: Yeah, uh, well, favorite fly is definitely a streamer. It's called Gandalf. Uh, it's one that I tie myself, usually in like a is gray your, or white. Or is it your own tie, or is it a tie that you, you've copied? I mean, did you name it? It. Yeah, I named it, It's but it's a combination of probably three different patterns. I'm going to have to get me so some it, of those. I would, call it, I would call it my own, but it is stealing from three different patterns and combining into one.
0: All right. I'm going to have to get me some of those. Okay, what about dry fly?
1: Favorite dry fly, is that what you're asking? Yeah. Uh, I mean, oof, a chubby, because you can fish it everything from, you know, like a, a beetle, a hopper, or a salmon fly, or a stone fly. I mean, jetties are just good in general.
0: You like terrestrial fishing? Oh, yeah. Who doesn't, right? Yeah. Okay. um, What is your favorite wade fishing river and what is your favorite float fishing river in Montana?
1: Oh, man, that's a hard one. (sighs) Or give me your top couple. Wave fishing, um, probably the Blackfoot. All, all portions of the Blackfoot. Um, okay. For floating, I've got to say either the Madison or the Clark Fork. Those are those are pretty neck and neck. Okay.
0: Favorite film Montana Wild has made. From and your then, perspective, your, fa- your favorite film. Uh,
1: my favorite film has got to be Buck Nasty Browns.
0: Yeah, I love that one, dude. Yeah, I love that one. As a matter of fact, I was up at the Green uh, the last couple days, and I saw a Moorish mouse. Yeah. And I thought of you guys. I don't know if that's the mouse you guys were using, but... I remembered that, and I thought, I'm going to buy that sucker, and I'm going to try that thing out. Um, That was a a really cool film, for sure. Yeah, it was a yellow. We were using (laughs) yellow marsh mouses. Okay. For the most part. Were you using yellow for a certain reason, or just because the film could pick up the yellow? Um, Or the the, the camera?
1: So we had been doing quite a bit of um, fishing at night. And so we ended up fishing mice quite a bit just around Missoula. And so we had just played around with all sorts of different colors and just trying to make them as ridiculous as possible. Just being, you know, like, what do they eat? Do they actually choose a color? It's, you know, it's nighttime. Um, And so we didn't, we, I mean, they pretty much ate every single color across the board. And so we had a bunch of yellow and pink ones still tied up and, So they happened to be uh, eating yellow streamers pretty hard in that particular area. And so we were like, yeah, why not yellow mice? And they they loved it.
0: Okay. I got a question about that. Um, You talk about fishing at night, but have you had success fishing mice? Obviously in the film, but have you had quite a bit of success fishing mice during the day? And, Tell me a little bit, that's one question, and number two is, kind of like fishing streamers, you just kind of come up, cast across to a a far bank, and kind of strip back, like, you know, just like you were a mouse running across the top? Uh,
1: so, definitely don't have as much success during the day fishing mice, um, for some reason, it tends to be larger fish that feed on mice, and those larger fish tend to be uh, nocturnal fairly often. Not sure if that's the case, why mice work better at night, but we have had success during the day, just not even close to comparable as at night. Um, as far as fishing a mouse, it's usually very similar to fishing a streamer as far as, you know, casting a cross or casting... Um, across and down river to the opposite bank, and you're not necessarily stripping. It's usually like wiggling your rod to get that, you know, water disturbance, so the surface disturbance mm-hmm. from the fly, and then Stating slowly the stripping it, and then slowly, you know, bringing in line. Um, I don't know even know if I'd call it stripping, but just so that it, you know, it is maintaining a, a consistent flow speed. But you kind of want it planing on top of the water,
0: right? So you've got to kind of yeah. maintain that. Is that what you're talking about, kind of where it's skipping up on the top?
1: Yeah, so you have the wiggle, which, you know, usually, you know, if you have the current, it's already starting to swing across. But you do have to still maintain bringing line in to keep that consistent movement across uh, the current towards you. Otherwise, yeah. it will just, you know, fade out if you were just to let it swing across wiggling. Yep. Yeah. There's some explosive
0: takes on that Buck Nasty Browns for sure. Okay. um, If you had to choose one and I don't know if this means choose for the rest of your life but let's just say if you had to choose hunting or fishing for the rest of your life would you, is is there one you would choose over the other?
1: Oh yeah. It's for sure hunting.
0: So Um, are you kind of like me in that fishing is you love it and you're passionate about it, but it's kind of the way to pass the time until hunting season.
1: Yeah, it's just fishing. Fishing's fun. Fishing's great. Um, there's just a greater purpose and an unknown with hunting. Um, you can. It's just you never know what to expect with hunting. You might see does all day, or you might see a you know a 200-inch buck. Um, not to mention, like, your interaction with those animals is a lot more uh, adrenaline rushing than what I find with fishing. Fishing, you kind of know what to expect. Like, I'm going to go out there on my cat supply, fly I'm going to hook it. It's a fairly similar experience. You kind of know what to expect. With hunting, you don't know if you're going to go out and get bluff-charged by a grizzly or what the day is going to entail. And you just <laughs> get to explore a lot more country than, hey, I'm stuck to this stretch of waterway top to bottom um so yeah hunting by far okay
0: a good starter camera setup for taking outdoor
1: pictures I mean, the best camera to start is the one that you have so whether that's a cell phone um or just a point and shoot the biggest thing is to start shooting and creating content um There's so many camera options these days. Uh, Definitely, I would look at a lot of, like, the lower to middle-end Sony quaint shoots.
0: Travis, um, this isn't a question, but mirrorless cameras have really come a long ways. Um, Have you bought into the mirrorless?
1: Uh, I shoot both still. So I do have a Sony as a mirrorless, and then I do have a Nikon, um, just standard DSLR. And uh, I do think that mirrorless has a lot of benefits. I don't see that going anywhere. I do think uh, mirrorless is definitely a, a great way to go. Um, I mean, a huge thing is just being able to see the exposure of how the photo is going to look through your eyepiece. Um, yeah this is definitely a great way to go okay here's a question
0: this one hits particularly home with me Uh, what's your take and then there'll be one more question after this what's your take on wolves as to them being introduced back into the wild I'll answer before you Travis from my perspective uh, I've just never seen wolves play good with others um I think it's it's just not a good fit. Um, I worry that the um, certain groups out there, they don't want to manage the wolves. Um, you know, I would say I would bend a little bit more if I knew for sure that they would be able to manage them and keep them in check. Um, they're talking about bringing more wolves into Arizona, more wolves into Colorado, and I just do not think it's a good idea because I think, you know the environmentalist groups and what have you ends up turning in big lawsuits and they don't end up managing them i think some of that country up there where you're from i mean you guys saw in yellowstone and idaho and you know all the surrounding wyoming some of the different places all around there um had some serious uh death loss and you know ungulates and and uh curious your thoughts but that's i just don't think it's a good idea right
1: now yeah, I mean, there's a there's a place for wolves, but I don't, I mean, especially with the stuff they're talking about now, you know, introducing wolves in Colorado and, and Arizona, but just what we've seen here in Montana, where they reintroduced wolves, but we still, you know, technically had wolves on the landscape. Um, I mean, yeah, they just have devastating effects on the animal populations, and I mean, it's just... When when you're talking about bringing back, you know, something like a wolf, which is very similar to a coyote, um, I inherently think that wolves from Montana will eventually be in Colorado. Um, I don't really think there's any point in introducing them and and starting an influx of a bunch of wolves. Uh, I mean, coyotes and wolves reproduce like crazy it's like, how many times have you heard someone try to eradicate, you know, coyotes from a landscape? It's literally impossible. I mean, it's just the same thing for wolves. Uh, we could try to poison and shoot them every single day uh, in Montana. There would still be wolves here. And the people that want to reintroduce them are the people that are like, hey, I want to see wolves as I'm out driving I-90. And it's like, you don't understand the mentality behind wolves, mountain lions, whatever it may be, that they're extremely intelligent. And even though you don't see them all the time, doesn't mean they're not there. And so for us as you know, hunters or people that spend a lot of time in outdoors, we're really the best gauge as far as, like, what are wolves doing and how many are out there. And I, I think it's a lot more than what the majority of people think good answer all right last question
0: what advice would you give someone trying to figure out what they want to
1: do for a living for the rest of their life well that's definitely a hard one um i think pursuing your passions is is important but not a necessity um the biggest thing is what are your goals what are your goals in life um you know, if your passion is to, is to be an artist, but you never can make ends meet, I mean, you're not really going to make it too far being an artist. So you're going to have to pursue something else and maybe make your passion a side job. So that's kind of similar to me in the sense that, you know, I'm extremely passionate about media. Um, I'm extremely passionate about hunting and fishing. Uh, for me, I, I honestly like to keep those more separate since I've been in in a, a career that combines both of them so often uh, to where I like to keep media kind of as a side job or int- basically integrate it into what I'm doing currently. So for me with real estate, obviously taking professional photos or shooting and um, creating photography and marketing materials is beneficial to my business, but it's not all my business. So biggest thing is to state what your goals are. Um, If you have a passion, um, what's your opportunity look like pursuing that passion? And if there isn't a lot of opportunity, what can you do to combine multiple either careers or disciplines and um, see if you can combine those two and either start a new uh, career path or be entrepreneurial? And maybe there's you know, something out there for you that's not actually existing as a job currently, and just do your research and figure out uh, what are the benefits, what are the, you know, the negatives, and just go out and do it. If you fail, learn from those failures and move on to the next thing. Awesome advice, man. Uh, it's been awesome talking
0: to you here. Uh, you Bring a lot of value. Uh, I'm so encouraged seeing a young guy like yourself uh, taking the bull by the horns and uh, creating, you know, building Bozeman and and uh, jumping into the real estate, jumping into to learning about you know income producing properties. And it just sounds like you've just grown so much, you've learned so much. So my hats off to you for taking that step. Uh, still a huge admirer of what you guys have done with Montana Wild and uh, just continue looking forward to the success that you guys will have, and tell your brother hello for me, uh, and uh, congratulations. Looks like you've got a real uh, winner of a wife, and, and uh, just that's awesome. Uh, God bless you, man. And it's been uh, great spending time with you here. I still want to get up and fish with you one of these times uh, and uh, go hunting or do something, but I'm going to be following along. I want to encourage the listeners Ah, uh, to give uh, Travis a follow uh, on his Instagram, and that is at T J That's B O U G H T O N. I'll link it up in the show notes. Also, Montana Wild and uh, BuildingBozeman dot com uh, and Beargrass Construction on Instagram as well. I'll link all those up in the show notes. Uh, but, yeah, buddy, just keep plowing, and uh, thanks for spending, you know, an hour and a half with us here and answering some of the listeners' questions, and uh, hopefully this podcast will encourage other people out there to take a little bit of a leap of faith and, um, you know, just get out there and buy some real estate and, and, uh, or pursue uh, any other career that you're passionate about because uh, it's obvious Travis is taking his passion uh, and all the, the energy that he's put into hunting and fishing, it's still there. The passion's still there, but he's been able to focus his attention on something else and building a career and, and building wealth, and it's it's awesome to see, especially in young guys. So, But you're never too old to, to buy real estate, and you're never too old to try something new is kind of the way I look at it as well.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks thanks for the time, Jay, and uh, we should chat again. All right, buddy. God bless. Take care.